By now, you've all heard of Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0, the latest book published by Mama Jumbo Shrimp. It's more than just another wine book. The fully updated second edition was inspired by students of the Vinitali International Academy and painstakingly reviewed and revised by an expert panel of certified Italian wine ambassadors from across the globe. The book also includes an edition by Professore Attilio Scienza, Italy's leading vine geneticist. The benchmark producer's feature is a particularly important aspect of this revised edition. The selection makes it easier for our readers to get their hands on a bottle of wine that truly represents a particular grape or region. To pick up a copy, just head to Amazon.com or visit us at MamaJumboShrimp.com. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Listen in as we journey to some of Italy's most beautiful places in the company of those who know them best, the families who grow grapes and make fabulous wines. Through their stories, we will learn not just about their wines, but also about their ways of life, the local and regional foods and specialities that pair naturally with their wines, and the most beautiful places to visit. We have a wonderful journey of discovery ahead of us, and I hope you will join me. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Milling, on Italian Wine Podcast. Today it's my great pleasure to be in Verona at Vinitali, Italy's largest and most important wine gathering, wine fair, bringing together wine people from all over the country. My guest today is Luca Collia of a very important historic wine estate, Casa Emanuele di Mirafiore, in the heart of the Barola uh, wine region. It's a story that really is at the heart of Italian history, so I'm eager to meet Luca and hear all about Casa Mirafiore. Thank you, Mark, for the introduction. I'm very happy to be here. Actually, honored to be with the Italian Wine Podcast. Uh, I'm happy to uh, tell you about Casa Manuela di Mirafiore. It's a beautiful historical uh, journey. Great. How's your Vin Italy going so far, Luca? Well, well Vin Italy is almost beautiful in my point of view yeah. because uh, you know you gather with all your friends, your partners. Uh, of course, we are in Italy, so you know. A lot uh, going on, but uh, we are very happy with the business we're making and uh, showing our beautiful uh, winery. Well, that's great. Yeah, it is an extraordinary event because the whole Italian wine world is here, not under one roof. There are many roofs. It's very big, all of the different halls. But it is a chance to, uh, to meet people from all around the country and to taste wines from all around the country, really getting a incredible picture of the diversity and the wonder and beauty of Italian wines. But you're going to take us to uh, a very special place, to the heart of the Barolo uh, wine region, one of the most famous wine regions in Italy. And the Mirafiore story really begins as a love story. Can you tell us about this? That's true, that's true. Uh, we are in the Lang area, in Serra Lunga d'Alba, and uh, we started, uh, let's say, our journey uh, in the middle of the uh, uh, 18th century, so 1850 more or less, before Italian unification. And the first king of Italy, Vittorio Emanuele II, uh, 
uh, he was uh, he used to love to to, uh, to come in the lag area to hunt. But during a parade dedicated to him, he met this beautiful, beautiful uh, woman, uh, Rosa Vercellana, a very famous name in, in Piemonte culture, and they got in love. Uh, so they had two kids. Uh, one of the kids, uh, the first kid was Emanuele. That's why the, the winery is called Casa Emanuele di Mirafiore. And you know, this was a, a secondary marriage. They were not. They couldn't get married because the queen was still living. So when the, the queen died in Torino, he, he wanted to, to marry Rosa Vercellana. And of course, they were not recognized by the, the crown. So to leave something to Emmanuel and, the, and the, his sister, Victoria, uh, they, they uh, let's say, they gave us the, a legacy. They became counts. In fact, uh, it's Conte Emanuele di Mirafiore. But everything, like you said, was born by a love story. Okay, it's an extraordinary love story, and that love story really is at the heart of the Mirifiore estate. Uh, as you say, the king, uh, was he the king of Sardinia at the time and then became the king of Italy? That's true. He was the king of Sardinian Piedmont yeah. uh, till 1861 when they unified Italy. Then he became the king of Italy, the first king of Italy. Okay, and this is... Um, very much part of the history of Italy, but also the history of Barolo wine, too, because uh, this was a time when Barolo, as we understand it, was really being developed through the Savoia, through the first prime minister, um, Conte um, Cavour, and uh, this is really all around the Mirifiore estate. Now, this king who was very in love with La Bella Rosine, I've seen a a painting of her in the villa. She was very striking, very beautiful, and he built her a villa. That's true, that's true. We have a Villa Reale in the middle of our property, still with their beds. You know, they have, they had used to separate uh, rooms, but they're still there. <laughs> and uh, when people, they come to visit us, they can uh, visit also these rooms. And there's this beautiful estate uh, with a lake, with uh, more than 100 hectares of property. Uh, now we have a beautiful, beautiful hospitality. In fact, we have uh, three hotels and three restaurants. One is a Michelin star with a restaurant. Uh, and they, it was from the very beginning a community. You know, the Villa Reale was their house, but uh, all uh, over the property, there were different buildings and uh, there were 200 people living in that uh, property together working for making wine from the very beginning, let's say 1858, so before Italy unification. So it's a very historical, historical area to come and visit for Barolo. Yes, a very, very historical. And I'd like to talk about um, the hospitality a, a little bit later and about this wonderful restaurant that's in the villa. But it is interesting as well how, um, how the Count Emanuele was really a visionary, not only in developing wine, in creating a modern style of Barolo that was very soon winning international awards, but also a visionary in terms of how to create a model community where workers were living, working in harmony and creating very good living conditions. Of course, we're talking about the 1860s, 1870s, 1880s, this time when there was a lot of poverty, when agricultural working was a very hard life. But on this estate, it was a model estate, and that was very much at the center of how he developed it. That's true, Mark. This is very crucial in our uh, 
uh, it today to say. Uh, Emanuele, like you said, he was a, a pioneer, you know, a visionary. Uh, he wanted to create this community. Community is the key word in this case, you know. And imagine if forbidden the Mezzadria. Mezzadria was uh, a kind of a dynamic that uh, was uh, the law at the time in the area. So if you, I would uh, own a, a land, I would uh, rent it to you and you could uh, starve all year long and get just 50% of the harvest at the end of the year. So you imagine entire family starving during the year. If forbidden that, and uh, before anything one else, anyone else in Italy, not just in Piemonte. Uh, he was reading books during the nights to the farmers because he was thinking, you know, a knowledge person would help me more than someone that doesn't know anything. So our visionary at that time, not today, it was this guy. We have a book into the winery dated 1890, and he wrote by his hand, uh, I'm very open to suggesting comments about how to make wine and how about I should manage this community in this winery. 1890, so it's been a while. Even now, it's pretty difficult to suggest to winemakers how to make their wines. No, they, they don't like that. Yeah. But this guy was so open-minded, he was very intelligent. And like you mentioned, he understood the potential of Barolo. He had connection with Cavour, you know, mm-hmm. the, the most important person for our unification. And he had the possibility to export for the first time Barolo in, in the world. So imagine, uh, eight, um, imagine we won some medals. At that time, there were not uh, ratings, but medals. In San Francisco, 1864, and two years before in Los Angeles, in Chicago, sorry. So imagine how important was the winery at the time and this guy, how visionary he was. That's extraordinary. Uh, very interesting what you say about the Mezzadria and how that was a system that, when it, when it was not working well, could leave people in, in extreme poverty with very little. And he found a way to to uh, give, give his workers a better life. Also very interesting about winning awards. We're talking about, you said 1858. Uh, the awards were 1864. So this is just after Italy became a unified nation, the Kingdom of Italy. And already from this um, royal villa, the wines are being taken around the world in the name of Barolo is being uh, paraded around the world. Uh, I, I think the wines were exhibited in exhibitions in Paris. Yes. And again, winning awards. So this was a, um, an important moment. Now we consider Barolo, we know Barolo as one of the greatest of all Italian wines and one of the greatest wines in the world. But this was a very early example of, of, of Italian wine being taken abroad, quality wine. Well, if you imagine 130 years ago, this guy was already, more than 160 years ago, this guy was already sporting and understanding the potential of aging Barolo, you know. The appellation of Barolo came many years later, so neither the appellation was there. And he had connection also with French winemakers, you know, Piemonte is on the, on the border with France, so the influence also in their dialects is huge. And the wines, especially, you know, Barolo. Now, the Lang is the uh, only thing in the world you can compare to Burgundy in terms of quality, in terms of production, in terms of a style, you know. So, this guy was really a star at that time. Yeah, actually, that's a good point, too, Luca, you've made, because prior to this, 
there wasn't a, a red wine to age. I think Barolo was a, a sweet wine sometimes. Mm-hmm. There was a mix of grapes in with it. With Barbera, yeah. With Barbera. And, it, and this, through knowledge from French enologists that had come to work with Cavour and, and working on the Mirafiore estate, this modern style of a big wine, vinified on the skins to extract tannin, to allow it to become a wine that could be conserved in age for decades. It was really, a, um, that would have been a very modern invention under Count Emanuele. Sure. Imagine they didn't have the technology with the knowledge we have now. So to understand that and to age it also in barrels at that time, Slavonian folk, actually they started with chestnut, because the area is full of chestnut of trees. But then they went to uh, Slavonian. Uh, it was really something new into the, the scene of, uh, of uh, the wine. But uh, another important new thing introduced into the winery, but actually in Europe, Emanuele asked to a Switzerland company from Zurich, uh, Borsari and Zollico at that time, to come in the, in the Serralunga area in our property to build one of the first wall act to make wine in Europe, not just in Italy. 1887. So imagine how important. Now, you know, cement, concrete is very popular, trendy. Sure. But at that time, we're talking about 1887. So it was incredible. And, uh, and it's still there. We still use it just mm-hmm. to stabilize the temperature of yeah. the wine and uh, cannot be touched because the Italian government doesn't allow us to change it because it's, it, again, it's, an, it's a historic monument. <laughs> yes. <in the> state. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the, the wine had great success up until the 1920s, was it? And then what happened? It happens that uh, there were different problems. The first thing, Emanuele was a very smart guy, but he died very young. He was 44 when he died. And that was the biggest problem, I guess. Uh, and then uh, there, in that time, we used to have uh, most of the vineyards in Europe with philosopher. So they destroyed, the philosopher destroyed most of the plantation all over Europe, and then the financial crisis from 1929 by the United States. Uh, Gastone, the son of Emanuele, was not able to take care of the business anymore. He went bankruptcy. I must say Gastone was not like the father for sure, because he was not uh, so focused into the wine. He became a politician. He was uh, very into uh, having fun. It's, you know, Italians, yeah. they like to have fun. Uh, but um, but in 1931, he had to sell uh, the property, uh, so the estate. The name of the, the estate is called Fontana Freda. It's a county of the commune, commune of uh, Sarlunga d'Alba. And uh, the brand was sold to another producer from the Asti area. So basically, Mirafiore, uh, let's say he, he was in a freezer for 70 years, more or less, because they were producing, but, you know, there was not so much focus into Barolo since the other producer was from another area, more focused on sparkling wines. So let's say the story, it was going on, but uh, a little bit interrupted by the sure. situation. So really the famous historic Casa Manuele di Mirafiore name, this historic label on a bottle, um, disappeared, but now it has appeared again. and virtually with the same historic labels again. Tell us the story of the Renaissance, a rebirth, a rediscovery of this incredibly important historic winery that's also making great wines again. 
Well, uh, in our property, we have a 1903 Barolo uh, label, Barolo, uh, and it was written Casamano di Mirafiore on a side as a brand, as a, the seller. Uh, and so, again, an historical piece of our, of our uh, journey. And, uh, you know, um, to say, um, Mirafiore uh, lost, like you said, a little bit uh, uh, the, the production, but uh, uh, in 2008, Oscar Farnetti, the founder of Italy, uh, he uh, came and he bought back the, the, the winery. He, he had the, the luckiness to get it back into the, the regional property in Fontana Freda County, in the state. And, uh, you know, he started again to develop the brand, the seller, uh, and uh, the, the labels. Okay, so we are using labels that are from the past, of course, in a different way. It's, they're a little bit more modern, for sure. But uh, it's uh, like uh, getting back to our roots and expressing, uh, even in the winemaking style, uh, the kind of wine we used to make. Because Mirafiore is a very traditional kind of um, uh, winery uh, in the sense that we use cement, but we also use uh, uh, original technique from uh, Piemonte. For example, we use Capello Sommerso technique into the cement, submerged head. Or we use. Uh, we'll just explain that to sure. our listeners in case they're not aware. There are many ways to extract color and tannin from wines. Um, you might pump the juice back over the grapes, Rimontaggio, for example, to extract the color and the tannins. But the, the Capello Sommerso, that's really traditional, holding the massive skins that float to the top down to, to extract. That's very important. And there is a reason why you do, you don't do that, uh, the opposite. So first of all, the concrete uh, tanks are like a pyramid cut on the top. Okay. So in this way, the solid part, the skin of the grape is always in contact under the liquid. Okay. That's very important. If you have a squared one, they tend to go just up and uh, you know, to leave a little bit of the liquid. Right. In that way, you extract less. But why we do that? Because we don't want to stress our wine. So when you pump over, you do other things, you stress a little bit the wine. So in this way, with the Capello Sommerso technique, technique, you have uh, just to push softly once per week, the solid part okay. down. Just, and just once a week. Because uh, like I said, it's always under the liquid. So yeah. it's extracting all the time. In this way, you also have more harmonious wine and that, that can last for many, many years as Barolo should be. Yeah. Okay. More or less, yeah. Italian Wine Podcast. If you think you love wine as much as we do, then give us a like and a follow anywhere you get your pods. It's also interesting to me that um, Mirafiore began as a, as a model of, of agronomy, of agriculture, of, of making wine, of way of the community living together. And that sustainability, the organic principles are still part of the whole philosophy behind Mirafiore today. I would say that's central for us. Uh, first of all, the, the community is still there because into the property we still have 20 families, more or less, okay. living there. And uh, uh, with their kids, uh, the company is taking care of their kids during summertime, for example. We do after school. We have two professors, so if you have a kid for free, you can leave your kids close to you where you're working. Amazing. Yeah, that's very important. We have free meal every day. And so the community is still uh, alive. And actually, yeah. this is 
the dream of Emmanuel, so we are continuing it. Um, and uh, the other question was about um, uh, the, uh, uh, the organic and yeah, sustainability. The organic, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the organic, the sustainability more than organic is very important for us. So imagine we started the organic conversion in 2015, so from 2018 vintage, all our wines will be organic certified. From last year, we got the vegan certification. And uh, even last year, we got another in, very important, in my point of view, certification. It's called Equalitas. They look for your sustainability in the agriculture, okay, but especially your ethical way of treating your employees. If you have, they have a good salary, if they're happy to work with you, very, very important certification. The last we got is the FSC certification, which um, show that, shows that uh, your uh, raw materials, so paper for your uh, labels, the um, bottles made by glass or the corks are from are sustainable, so from replanted forest or by recycled glass. So okay, you imagine amazing, yeah. how important for Mirafiora is the sustainability. Sure. We are almost 360%. And also in, uh, in our property, we have solar panels that we use to produce energy. We have a lake, like I said before, so we purified and reuse the water for agriculture purposes. We cannot irrigate in the land area. This is the rule, but we can use it in other ways without wasting it. Sure. And water is very important right now. Of course. Now, I know you produce a broad range of wines, but let's just talk about the classic red wines of the Lange. Uh, let's say we are very focused just on the Lange Act to Barolo varietal. So we just produce Dolcetto, Barbera, and Biolo, basically, and okay. white, uh, as a white Langenaschild. But, of course, our main soul, I would say, our main focus would be always Barolo, because, like we said before, we were one of the most important from the very beginning, and we are very focused on this. We are in a very important commune for Barolo, the OCG. So in Cerro Lunga d'Alba, one of the 11 municipalities in the world you can make Barolo. Imagine Lange, it's a very small place. So uh, it's, a, it's a very fragmented kind of a, a winery scene. And uh, Barolo for us is, uh, is everything, you know. Nebbiolo is a very complex kind of varietal. Maybe one of the most complex in the world, not just in Italy. Uh, with this long potential to age, this uh, elegance when you taste it, with this beautiful tannins. I tasted a bottle of your Barolo <laughs> just the other night over nice. dinner. It was absolutely beautiful. Thank you. Thank Very you. Very well. 2017, so not not too old. But not too old, but uh, yeah. so, because the approach nowadays is to be, of course, traditional. What I was saying before, we don't use any um, we don't use any barry. We just medium or big size Slavon and oak. Um, but at the same time, we want to be contemporary. You know, wine, you, of course, those are wines you can age, you can drink in many years. But we also want to uh, produce democratic, pass me the word, wines <laughs> for everybody that everybody can enjoy. Of course, premium wines, but they can taste uh, forever palates. So. I think it's important because, you know, we want to taste wines. We want to be able to buy wines that we enjoy now, not that we have to buy and wait 10 years, which used to be the case with Barolo. Mark, I always, sell to my, I always say to my clients, to my customers, to my partners, when you buy a, uh, a bottle of vintage, you buy a, at least one case. So you can drink a bottle now, another bottle in two years, and so on, you know, five years, ten years. So you can imagine and, and see, check how the uh, Barolo can evolve. This is a special thing about Barolo. It 
it's evolving all the time. In your bottle, but also in your glass, you pour your Barolo every five minutes, it's different wine, as layers. That's actually a beautiful um, tip, I think, for wine drinkers who are listening to us. Um, some people feel you have got to open a bottle for a couple of days, or if it's a big wine or a day, um, decant it. But what Luca is saying, I agree completely. You need patience when you actually have the wine in your glass. You need to sip it and swirl it and enjoy it, and then maybe leave it for a little while and see how that wine just in that moment is developing. My problem with that, Luca, is that when it's just sitting absolutely magnificent in the glass, you finish the bottle. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's the so only you've got to open you another one. Yeah, I always say to people, you know, when it's Friday night, you want to treat yourself after a hard week with your wife, with your husband, whatever. You just sit on the couch without any food, actually. Maybe dark chocolate if you, if you want to dare and just a glass of a barolo too and enjoy it. Enjoy the, the end of the week. Absolutely. It's, it, Barolo truly is a vino da meditazione. No, for sure. A wine that, you can, uh, that can take you places as you're sipping it. But it's also very much a food wine, as are Dolcetto d'Alba and Barbera d'Alba. And I'd like to talk a little bit about um, food and wine, and in, in particular about this magnificent Guido Ristorante, Ristorante Guido, that's in the villa, uh, the, the royal villa, um, the Villa Contessa Rosa. Yeah, it's, it's called. Um, in honor of La Bella Rosine, uh, uh, which is one of my favorite restaurants in the world. I think it's a magical place. And Chef Ugo, it's a modern Michelin star restaurant, but it's very much based on the traditional foods of Leilangi. So just tell me a few of what these foods are, a few of your favorite foods that you enjoy with the Mirifiore wines. Well, first of all, I'm a very lucky person <laughs> to be there. You're very lucky. The yeah. And then uh, even because I'm Italian in, in Italy, food, uh, it's culture more than in every other country, I guess. I used to live in the U.S., so I, I've seen different things. Um, so food is very linked to wine in any way possible. So when we talk about wine, we need to talk about food. Uh, Piemonte has a beautiful, beautiful culture about food. They're very linked again to France in this way. And uh, Guido Alciati, the founder of the Guido restaurant, he was uh, a visionary, again, another incredible guy. He um, was one of the first in that area to get the mission star. Uh, and like you said, you have very different uh, uh, Michelin star restaurants in that area, maybe the more concentrated area for Michelin stars in Italy. But uh, the others, they um, tend, and this is a good thing, don't get me wrong, they tend to mix the fish, fusion, to have fusion of different kitchens to, diff to explore a little bit. Guido is very focused and still Ugo, the, the, the son, which is the, the main chef now, and Piero, which is taking care of the management of the, the restaurant. They want to continue the tradition of their, their family. Also, their uh, mom and their grandmother, they used to some beautiful dishes. So, it's a one national star, but if you come and visit, um, you will taste the tradition and its past. So, imagine what I, when I am, when I'm go there, and I'm very lucky I have the possibility to, to eat the best carne cruda, the raw meat, at the same time with elotonato, in a special, special way, very thick kind of Italo Tonato, and especially, I would say, the Agnolotti del Plin. So this beautiful, beautiful pasta, 
dumplings, let's say, uh, uh, in a way, uh, made it two different uh, ways. The first one would be with the roasted sauce, okay, from different uh, kind of meats. And at the same time, and this is the recipe of their mom, uh, and the recipe of their grandmother is that it's uh, really, really interesting because uh, um, it's in a fazzoletto, so in a napkin, they put without any sauce, this agnolotto plain, and you eat it by hand instead Ooh. of one. It's really beautiful, and it's part of the... Actually, I think I've had that as a, uh, with aperitivo, when we've been having a glass of beautiful sparkling wine. But that agnolotto del plain di Lidia, I think, mm-hmm. the, the Lidia. Mother, um, yeah. is really extraordinary. One of the real traditional handmade pastas with a filling of, I think, a variety of different meats. D- different meats. And uh, as you say, simply served with the juices from roast meats. It's uh, absolutely exquisite. And I think it's a wine that, uh, it's a, a dish that goes beautifully with maybe a lunghe nebbiolo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you, you suggested something very nice we didn't talk about before. We said that uh, Mirafiero is very toxic on the Lange varietals, but lately, and it's part of the culture of Piedmont actually, we started making an Alta Lange. Alta Lange is a sparkling wine. In Piemonte, they sang, they invented the Metodo Classico in 1850. If you go to France, they're not green. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's, it's a wine made uh, of Pinot Noir in Chardonnay. In our case, we just use Pinot Noir in the highest part of the Lange area. So imagine at least at least 300 meters by the sea level, but we have been some vineyards even to 600 meters. And it's a beautiful expression. And uh, why not to use it as an imperative or also with some plain? Of course, like you said, maybe the most famous match is with uh, Langenebiolo. Langenebiolo is uh, mm-hmm. pure elegance and they really pair with this kind of food. Yeah, absolutely. And then perhaps um, a brazato al Barolo with, with Barolo. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah, for sure, Brasato Barolo, even other main uh, uh, kind of dishes, they can go very well with, with Barolo. I would say that uh, Dolcetto and Barbera are fresh, fruity, with high acidity wine, so they call for, we, we say in Italy, foodie wines. No? Absolutely. They call for food, Absolutely. so salami, cheese, you know, yeah. they match very well. When we are on the Barolo, we have a little bit more elegance, for sure, more complexity, so you can play around with different dishes. Yeah. So it's, a, it's an area of exquisite, exquisite wines, but also a, one of the greatest cuisines in Italy. And of course, we haven't even mentioned the Tartufo Bianco di Ali, the white truffle, which is, of course, one of the glories of being in the region in October, November. Yeah, Mark, when you are in the, in the area, September, the end of September till uh, the end of December, it's perfect spot to eat, eat some white truffle. Absolutely. Now, finally, Luca, let's just mention some of the what hospitality you offer at Mirafiore. Yeah, I mentioned before a little bit uh, short. Um, so we have now uh, three different hotels. It's the same hotel, but it's a spread all kind of hotel. So different concept for the three buildings. We just released, we just opened the third, which is a luxury spa. Very, very small, 10 rooms, that's it. And uh, it's a high quality kind of hotels and uh, and also restaurants. Because like I mentioned before, we have three restaurants. Uh, something is a little bit more casual, like this Guido. And Guido is the mission star we just mentioned. And then we have a, um, another one close to the lake. 
that we, we attend there many weddings. Imagine oh. we have 50 weddings every year. People coming. I can imagine what a beautiful place to get married. Yeah. Then we have a theater, uh, a small one, dedicated to uh, some uh, uh, important uh, person from Italy, Oscar Fernetti, during fall and winter, invites uh, very famous people. They can be journalists, they can be singers, they can be actors, many, many arts. And they come to talk about a specific topic. Most of the time can be environment, sustainability, but, you know, can vary, of course. And it's for free. It's for the community. So even people that are not into the property, that don't live there, or like me, employees, employees, they can come for free. They just need to register. It's a small place and they can hear to the, what they say. It's a beautiful thing. We have a conference center that we rent for beautiful uh, companies close to us. For example, Ferrero, one of the most famous in Italy. And this, and we called all this hospitality Villaggio Narrante, the storytelling village, because you can also walk into a booth, in Bosco de Pensieri, the booth of thoughts, uh, where you can go for free without uh, getting registered and just walk into one of the um, only booths left in the Langen right now. So imagine uh, people just entering without any stop and enjoying the place. Well, it's an absolute, absolutely beautiful place, I can confirm. And I think for me, wine tourism has developed so much in recent years. And I think what you're offering is a really attractive um, proposal because people can come and really immerse themselves in the life of a community, not simply just going somewhere to taste wines or to even stay in a beautiful hotel, but really the vineyards are all around. Um, easy to get to Alba, beautiful area, and of course, magnificent wines and foods. Luca, it's been a real pleasure having you here today for being my guest and explaining this wonderful and important story about Casa Manuele di Mirifiore and the, re, uh, the renaissance of this historic winery and the wonderful wines you're producing today. So thank you very much. I hope Vinitaly continues well for you. Thank you, Mark. It was uh, really an honor to be here with Italian Wine Podcast. Uh, it's uh, really, really, I'm very excited and emozionato we say in Italy. It well, was a, a beautiful moment. Bellissimo. Thank you very much. Also for, for me. Grazie mille. Grazie mille. Okay, ciao. Ciao, ciao. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Please remember to like, share and subscribe right here or wherever you get your pods. Likewise, you can visit us at italianwinepodcast.com. Until next time, chin chin.